0: Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps started swimming competitively at age seven and already held a national record for his age group in the 100 meter butterfly by age 10. According to his coach, Phelps didn't miss a morning practice from the age of 11 through 16. He would practice on Sundays, birthdays, and Christmas mornings to keep his competitive edge. Phelps averaged four hours per day in the pool, spending well over 10,000 hours mastering his craft by the time he competed in his first Olympics at Sydney in 2000 as the youngest male to make a U.S. Olympic swim team in 68 years. Simone Biles started gymnastics at the age of six and began training with a professional coach at eight years of age. Before starting high school, Biles switched to homeschool in order to boost her training hours from 20 hours a week to 32 hours a week. Her parents even built a gymnasium nearby their estate to reduce her commute to less than 10 minutes. The approximate six to 7,000 hours of training she received during her homeschooling years, combined with her previous training, ensured she also crossed that 10,000 hour mark before competing at her first Olympics in Rio in 2016. At the age of 19, she then set national, a national record for the most gold medals in, women gyms, in women's gymnastics at a single Olympic Games. The dictionary says, Devotion is a steadfast and single-minded focus to a certain course of action. There is no doubt whatsoever that these elite athletes were, were devoted to their sport. I've done a little bit of fun running and if I do five hours a week, I think I'm doing good. These guys did that before breakfast. They were definitely devoted. Now here's a question for you this morning. What are you devoted to? To your spouse? I mean, that's a good thing. Your family, again, a good thing. Some people are devoted to their work. What are you devoted to? What are you constantly drawn back to, regardless of all of the other activities and pursuits of life? For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the DNA of the church, and we've been trying to understand what the basic ingredients of a church are. We've used the early church as our model, and from Acts 2, we've determined that a church is a church when it focuses on three main areas. First of all, a church is a church when it fo- its focus is on the word of God, the work of God, and the worship of God. And last week, Leighton did a great job of unpacking that aspect of the church for us. Secondly, we've discovered that a church is a church when it loves and cares for the family of God in the community of faith. And we'll dig into that a little bit more in just a moment. Thirdly, a church is a church when it takes the message and power of Christ into the world and cares for the needs of others. And Cal will look at that next week, so make sure that you tune us in again. In Acts 2, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And so back to the question that I asked from the start what are you devoted to? What do you constantly focus on? What is that pivotal thing around which everything else in your life turns? The early church was devoted to teaching, and Leighton looked at that last week, and the early church was devoted to fellowship. Now, fellowship isn't just chatting over coffee in the foyer after the service. By the way, in COVID, that's illegal. That'll get you flagged. Sorry, we can't do that. But the point is that fellowship is more than visiting. It's even more than friendship. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means partner, sharer, companion. It describes a shared community that involves deep, close-knit participation among its people. It's holy unity, holy intimacy, share between believers as they pursue knowing God and following God together. Read through the book of Acts. We see that the early church lived out Koinonia for them. Fellowship wasn't an event that they went to. It was how they understood God, pursued God, obeyed God and experienced God. And they did this together for them. Fellowship Koinonia. This was how they lived. And they were totally and completely devoted to doing life that way. So here's the first point that I want to make today. A church is a church when it expresses love for the family of God by being devoted to biblical fellowship. Now, I think for us at Ebenezer, there are times when we practice and experience biblical fellowship. There's pockets of that here and there. And we could take the time this morning to talk about how to enhance that and, and adjust that and improve that. But I think there's a bigger question for us at this place and time. And that's this, how can we live out biblical fellowship while living in the midst of a pandemic? After living through the last six months, I'm sure, like me, that you've noticed there's a wide variety of opinions regarding how to best handle what we're currently working through. Some want to shut down the economy. Some want to open everything up. Some wear masks everywhere. Others attend anti-mask rallies. Opinions are polarized, polarized rather, and they are often deeply held and even embedded. These perspectives are all around us in culture, and our church survey showed us that these perspectives are just as deeply held within the church as they are outside of the church. So how can we work towards practicing biblical fellowship when there's such division regarding how to live in these times? As I thought and prayed about this, I was reminded of the passages that give us the picture of the physical body. And they use this to describe the fellowship of believers. And I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 starting there, and then I'll read through. I won't do the whole passage in terms of reading it, but just kind of the key verses here. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, I know the context for this passage of spiritual gifts but there's also a general principle here that I think that can be applied. And that's a call for unity in the body in the midst of diversity and difference. And so one of the first things that we can do in order to be devoted to fellowship is, is to remember that we're all members of one body. We are all members of one body. And we need to work towards unity regardless of our differences. We're members of the body of Christ before because of what he has done for us. In a Roman series we saw, He's called us, he's purchased us, he's redeemed us, and he's adopted us into his family. We are children of God first and foremost. When we keep our focus on Christ, it's easier to be devoted to fellowship. But if we focus our own perspective, that hampers fellowship. And so if we're gonna be a church that thrives in the midst of this pandemic, we need to focus that devotion to fellowship into the body of Christ, not devotion to our own opinions and perspectives, there was another passage that came to mind as I thought and prayed about this this abyss of time, and that's Philippians chapter two. I'll read the first four verses. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, and some call that fellowship in some translations, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So again, when we put our faith in Christ, we are united with him. And as a result, there's that unity as believers as we move towards him who is the head. But this passage also points out that there's a few attitudes that destroy Christian unity real quick. Selfishness and conceit. These attitudes are me focused. They focus what I want, my rights, my freedoms. This is the mindset of the world that's all around us. It's not to be the attitude of the follower of Christ. Verse five in Philippians two, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. But what was that mindset of Christ? He was equal with God, but he laid it all aside and took on human form in obedience to the Father and ultimately to serve us. So what was the mindset of Jesus? First of all, he was humble. Jesus didn't think he was above what was asked of him. He set aside privilege in order to accomplish the will of his Father. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus prayed, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus did what he didn't want to do in order to accomplish his Father's will and a greater good. Secondly, Jesus had a servant attitude. John 13, 3-5. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now we know from the New Testament that Jesus was was rabbi. Many called him that. He was the teacher. He held the most prominent position of anyone in that room. And yet he did what was typically set aside for the servant person of the lowest position. He washed their feet. Now the humility of Christ and the servant attitude of Christ. These are key traits in the character of Christ that allowed him and even empowered him to go to the cross. So when it comes to exercising your rights and expressing your opinions, I have to ask again, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Experiencing biblical fellowship or koinonia requires some very important attitudes on our part. Servanthood, humility, and a commitment to the local body of Christ, because every believer is a part of that body. Now the second thing we see in the DNA of the church is this. a church is a church when the believers care deeply for for each other, Acts 2, 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now when the church was first established, it was seen by most within the status quo as this kind of outside unauthorized heretical group. Joining the church meant that that now that you are on a fringe, And so many were rejected and disinherited by their families. There was no social programs like we have today. So when you became a follower of Jesus, that meant that you often were also in need. The early believers responded to this crisis by living communally and openly sharing what they had, even selling the excess to meet the needs of those who didn't have the essentials. This form of communal living didn't last throughout the whole New Testament, But the challenge for believers to love and care for one another still exists for us today. 1 John 3, 17 to 18 says this, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So how can we care deeply for each other? First of all, we need to recognize when there's need. The need for care comes in all forms. When we lose someone that we love, we need support. When we're sick, when we're stressed, when our jobs are in question, we need we need someone to care for us when our kids are going through tough times or when our kids are at home and we're trying to do school with them and you're trying to work at the same time and it's just getting crazy. You know, we need we need care. We need support. The need for care is all around us and we need to recognize it. But we can't pick up on these needs from a distance. That's why meeting in smaller gatherings is so important. Our hubs, our small groups, our discipleship communities, these are all places where we walk closely with one another. They're places where we have relationship. They're places where we can share our needs, whatever they might be. Now secondly, the body of Christ needs to respond when there's need. We know from scripture that when you believe in Christ, you're given a spiritual gift. In fact, everyone in the body of Christ is gifted by the Spirit of God. These gifts are given so that ministry can be accomplished and the body built up. That's what Ephesians 4.12 tells us. So this means that care within the body is something that we can all contribute to. It's not just the pastors who extend care. It's everyone. The awesome thing is that there are some within the congregation who have been especially equipped by the Spirit to care for others. Those with the gift of mercy, they are exceptional caregivers who often care better than we as pastors do. The point is this. We need you. We need everyone within the body, everyone within Ebenezer to watch for need, to keep our eyes open for need, to have our radar on for need, and then respond to need as we see those happening, especially in the times that we're living in. Now, there's a third aspect of the DNA of the church that we also see in Acts. A church is a church when believers practice hospitality. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, the phrase breaking of bread is an interesting one it's typically been viewed as sharing of communion. And there are several places in scripture when that's actually the case. There are several other places in the Bible where the phrase simply means sharing a meal together. For example, when Paul was shipwrecked during one of his missionary journeys, we see this phrase in another context. Picture 14 days. The sailors have been battling this storm. They've eaten next to nothing. So Paul encouraged them to eat. And then he says this in Acts 27, 35. He took some bread he gave thanks to God in front of all of them, and then he broke it and he began to eat. So the sailors here were eating were eating to gain strength in order to swim for shore once the ship broke apart. So this definitely wasn't a communion service. I think actually the, the New Living Bible actually gives us a more accurate translation of the Acts 2 passage, and I'll read that. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So here in the Luke passage he doesn't appear to be calling attention to the remembrance of the Lord's death as much as to the simple sharing of of a meal with other believers. So if part of the DNA in the church is to practice hospitality, how can we do that? How can we practice hospitality in the midst of a pandemic? When I was teaching caregiving classes I found that those who attended again had the gift of mercy and they felt they needed to do absolutely everything in their power for those that they would care for. A look into the story of the good Samaritan helped to bring some perspective. The Samaritan, despite being discriminated against by most of his culture, helped out a traveler who'd been beaten and robbed by bandits. Instead of walking by, the Samaritan stopped. He bandaged the man's wounds. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to an inn, and then he paid for the inn until the man was well enough to go on. Now at first glance it appears the Samaritan did everything for the herding man but I think it's also good for us to consider what he didn't do. He didn't care for the man personally and by this I mean he didn't stay with him in the inn until the man was well. He didn't cancel his trip and he went ahead and took care of the business that he needed to attend to. The Samaritan did what he was able to do and he didn't do what he was unable to do. One speaker that I listened to on this issue used the word responsibility and then he broke it down into two words response and ability this means we need that we are to respond rather according to the ability that we have that's what the samaritan did and i think that's how we can practice hospitality within a pandemic each of us has a responsibility to be hospitable and we need to respond with the ability that we have Rosaria Butterfield says this in her article entitled, Practice Hospitality, Especially During COVID-19. She asks, should we bring people into our homes who are stranded in the pandemic? Believers will arrive at different positions based on their circumstances. One family will make phone calls, one family will deliver groceries, another family will welcome the stranger into their home. Each household will serve in different ways, but each household should be intent to serve. We all literally exist within our own bubble during this pandemic and we all need to do our best to honor government guidelines regarding distancing and hand washing and sanitizing and the number of people that we have in our bubbles. I think that that just shows that we respect the people around us and we love them. Having said that, we all have different bubble responsibilities and this is what I mean by that. Some of us have vulnerable people in our bubble the young, the elderly, those who, are, who have health issues. We need to be very careful when it comes to bubbles with vulnerable people in them. But others have bubble responsibilities that don't include vulnerable people, which would allow their bubble to be opened up to others. We all have different abilities to respond. So if you're in a situation where your bubble responsibilities will allow you to open up, please pray about widening your bubble to include someone else. Maybe you want to lead or join a home hub. I mean, that's essentially a church in your home with a few others who are dedicated to that smaller gathering. That's your bubble. Or maybe you have three friends that you could connect with, that you could be a church together with, then do that and we can help you understand how to do that. We actually have a training time for leaders of smaller gatherings, October the 4th at 9 a.m. in the new chapel here at the church. Hub leaders, small group leaders, family group leaders. This is for you, so please come. We'd love to see you there. Now, if you're in a bubble where your bubble responsibilities don't allow you to open up to others, you still need fellowship. You still need community. That's a part of the DNA of DNA of the church. We need that. And so I want to ask today, how will you connect with others in a meaningful way if you've got limited bubble responsibilities? Last March when COVID hit, my small group shifted from meeting in person to connecting online. And we actually met more often that way than we did prior. We crave fellowship, I mean, everything else was shut down to us. We needed that connectedness. Meeting online is one way that you can connect if you're limited in terms of your bubble responsibilities. It's a great way. It's not the ultimate way, but it is a good way that many people are finding helpful at this point in time. During the last six months, I've not been able to visit with people in person to see how they're doing. And if you know me at all, You know, that's driven me a little crazy. So I've been texting people and calling people, and I hope in some way that I've been a blessing. But I know that I've been blessed by many of you. I got to know you a bit better. I got a glimpse into your journey and your resilience and your heart for the Lord. I have been blessed by you. Hopefully you've been blessed by me just by getting on the phone. It's a great way that you can connect and experience fellowship. We all need fellowship. We all need community. And so I want to challenge you to consider how you can engage during this time. And then actually do it. Don't just think about it. Get out there, make a commitment, and do it. Each household will serve in different ways, but each household should be intent to serve. In 1527, Martin Luther authored an essay entitled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Interesting title. In it, he says, pastors and other people in leadership must not flee the plague, but instead should remain in the community and help others until the dread has passed. Now, Luther understood that the physical stakes were very high. This was actually during the bubonic plague where 25% of Europe died in three years. Some of the members of Luther's own family got very sick. He understood the physical realities and what was at stake, but he also understood the spiritual stakes were very high. Those who were sick needed support and encouragement and help and spiritual counsel. There are many today who are outside of a bubble, of any bubble, and they need support, they need encouragement and even spiritual help. How we fellowship, how we care, and how we practice hospitality can make an eternal difference. And in closing, I simply want to ask the question that I open with, what are you devoted to? The early church was devoted to teaching. We talked about about that last week. And they were devoted to fellowship. What are you devoted to? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the example we find in it, the teaching that is there, the model of Christ, the direction of your word, the example of the early church. And Lord, I thank you for their practice of fellowship and the challenge that's there for all of us to engage in that. And we just opened our lives today to the Spirit of God to, to shape us and change us and direct us as we consider how we ought to be involved in fellowship. Help us to understand that and, and be devoted to it, knowing that, that that makes such a change in our own lives and that it can make such a difference in the life of someone else. And so, Father, if there are places where we've been stuck in our own opinions, where we've been stuck in our perspectives, I pray that we might give the Spirit of God room to challenge us on those things and to remind us of the unity that you ask us to be involved in. If there's hearts that need to be changed, I pray that you might do that work. And I pray that as a body here, a local body here at Ebenezer, that people would look and say, wow, their fellowship is amazing. They care for one another. They really care about one another. And that's something that I want to be a part of. Your word says, that unbelievers will know of our love for one another by the way that we care for each other. They'll know you by the way we care for each other. And so help us to pursue that today. Thank you for this time. We give ourselves to you for for you to do your good work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Closing, I just wanna read from Romans 15, five to six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.